Welcome to another edition of First Word from First Church. This is Pastor Dave Buchanan at the First Church in Sutton. Please enjoy the message and may God bless you richly through it. Our first lesson this morning is from Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Our second lesson is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches other to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. May the words of God bless us. We continue in our gospel readings. Not that I'm intentionally making a series. This is how the lectionary lays it out for the season, and it kind of fits. We continue with those teachings that are collected and called the Sermon on the Mount. Although, as I, I said last week, this is probably a series of teachings of Jesus preparing his disciples at the very beginning of his ministry, he's just called them. 
he has spoken to a crowd, but he went a little further up the hill with his closer circle, and he's laying out the gospel. He's laying out the news that they're going to teach. He's putting some detail to the heart of the law of God, to put it the way that the Messiah brings it, not the way it had been interpreted to be a burden for so many centuries. And some of it's a little interesting and almost doesn't quite make sense. You notice we're not called to be the sugar of the world. We're not called to be the, the saccharine or whatever kind of sweetener you poison your coffee with. I do too. Uh, we're called to be salt. Salt. Down in, down in Pennsylvania, Dutch country, they serve you a nice bowl of ice cream, put a great big pretzel in the middle of it to get the contrast of the salt and the sweet. What's salt good for? Any ideas? Multi-purpose. Melting ice, yeah, right now in recent weeks. If not sodium chloride, other things that we call salt, and it's a metal and a chloride, and together lowers the freezing point of water. Although I'll tell you, there were times up in Maine for a couple of weeks we had ice down the middle of the road because you get below 11 degrees, salt won't melt ice anymore, and we stayed there for a couple of weeks. So this, this was a fairly brief spate this weekend, although it got a little frosty. So, melting ice. Um, I had an experiment with some kids last year in school where we took two plastic bags and put ice in the outer one and milk, cream, and sugar and a little vanilla in the middle one and then put a lot of rock salt or kosher salt around on the, the ice in the outer bag and shook it. And one boy who thought he was tough and didn't put a pair of gloves on, his hands were rosy, frosted red because, as you know, again, just like melting the ice, it sucks all the heat in to absorb the, to melt the ice, you make ice cream. You gotta shake it for a while. It was pretty tasty. Salt. What else is salt good for besides melting ice? Flavor. I, I like salt. I had a friend, God rest his soul, and it's not because of the salt. And when a bunch of us guys would get together for lunch, we get two salt shakers at the table. One was for Earl, and the other was passed around for the rest of us. He, he put salt on that even I couldn't look at it. And I, I love salt as flavor. And as I say, contrast to the sweet, if you put a pretzel in your ice cream, there's salt in all kinds of things. We need salt. You know, if you've ever cut yourself as a kid and licked the blood off till you get some methionate to band-aid, I know it sounds gross now, but we were kids, right? Blood's pretty salty. We need that chemistry. We've got to have a certain amount of all, all kinds of electrolytes, and salt's one of them that we need in our body. How about salt as a preservative? If you read the rations that were issued to the typical Civil War soldier, or for many generations of sailors on ships, how do you feed them some protein if you don't have refrigeration? You salt everything. If anybody's ever had uh, cream chip beef on toast, yes. and the military are thinking, yeah, that's one way to call it, right? Well, we won't say it. If you're not sure, ask me later. Although I will say that at Sunday brunch at West Point one year, a, a couple of nuns in their full habits at the 
buffet at the officers club. We had a young woman cadet with us. And one of the nuns said, that says SOS on there. I guess that's some kind of military abbreviation. And our dear friend, the lady cadet, whispered in her ear and told her what it was. I apologized to the good sister, and she said, oh, that's okay. I, I, that, you know, I understand. Well, I'm sorry. They're a little rough and ready. Oh, I know. So anyway, the chick beef, perfect example of an assault, something to keep it. Now, the doctors say, watch out for canned foods because we, we preserve them with so much salt. You're going to watch that balance a little bit, especially if you've got some blood pressure issues. But salt is used as a preservative. But Jesus says something about being the salt of the world doesn't make any sense. If salt loses its saltiness, well, as long as it's got sodium and chloride, it's going to be salty. But in that day, salt was used in a layer. Ovens were outdoors for safety's sake, like, like a clay beehive kind of thing, with a, like a modern brick pizza oven that made out of clay, and had clay tiles in the bottom of it. They'd put a layer of salt to hold and distribute the heat evenly so you didn't burn the corners of your bread. Well, after a while, all that extreme heat would break the salt down physically, and it wouldn't hold the heat well. It had been baked too many times. And they'd take the salt out and they'd throw it on the pathway. It acts like fine gravel. It also keeps things from growing in the pathway. And put fresh salt in. Now that got to the point where there was a, a ritual act in the synagogue if someone had fallen away from the faith. If they'd lost their saltiness. They were good only to be trodden upon, even though we're talking about the synagogues. They didn't read this passage, but they'd lost their salt. When they were restored to the faith, the next time they were at synagogue, they'd lay across the door and invite people to trample them on the way in as an act of penitence. The early church read this passage and did the same thing. If you'd fallen away from the faith and lost your salt and regained it and rejoined the company, sometimes there was an additional bath, especially in the synagogue, not unlike a baptism, but there was this ritual in the church too, besides repenting before the congregation, usually restored on, on Palm Sunday or Easter. The Easter vigil is still used for that in some traditions. But you laid across the door of the church and invited people to step on you on the way in. I would hope kindly brothers and sisters didn't take too much advantage of that opportunity, but it was the offering of it only to be worthy of being trampled. Salt of the earth. It's become one of the highest compliments you can pay to somebody. If somebody is a really good person in their family, the community, the church, we might say they're a pillar of the community or a pillar of the church. We're just as likely to say, oh, he or she is the salt of the earth. This is whence that comes. What does salt do for the world? Do we add a little flavor to the discussion in the world around us? We do if we are salty, not in the common vernacular now, but in the sense of, of adding the life of Christ to the conversation. How about as a preservative? If we hold the values of the gospel and carry them with us into the workplace, the places of recreation, the public square, the school, do we not preserve certain standards, certain ways of life, 
certain things that are God's. I don't mean to beat the detail of the law into people, but the law that Christ shares of the love of God and the love of neighbor, putting the welfare of neighbor a little more important than your own. How can that be a preservative if we think about it? For the society, the culture, the whole being that we're in. If we're gonna be some kind of a, a salt shaker for the community, the commonwealth, the nation, and even the world when you look at the whole church. We're salt shakers for Jesus. That won't make a great bumper sticker. But in terms of preserving culture, in terms of, of adding God's flavor, and it should be a flavor of joy, a good flavor. I mean, salt's good. We like salty. So that's what we are to be, the salt of the earth. And if we lose our ability to hold that warmth, hold that heat, to be that salt, then cast on the cast by the wayside. Even the early synagogue, let alone the early church, recognized the restoration of the salt. Light of the world. A little contradiction here, as we told the kids. In the Gospel of John, Jesus makes it very clear with that phrase, I am. Ego, me, echoing the word of God. God am, he says, the light of the world. The Gospel of John begins with the word, but the second thing it calls Jesus is the light. The light coming into the world and, and that the Baptist was only there to announce the light, not be the light. Jesus is the light of the world. But here he looks at his disciples, us, says, you are the light of the world. Wait a minute, Jesus. Is it you or is it me? And the flashlight was the easiest symbol I could think of to show the youngsters this morning. We're the reflectors. If Jesus is the light at the top of the lighthouse, and as an old hymn, let the lower lights be burning. You know that one too, Eric? Okay. We know most of the same hymns. Every once in a while he teaches me one. Let the lower lights be burning, the lights along the shore, the lights that mark the channel, the lights that reflect the light from the great lighthouse that is Jesus Christ, but we're called to be the other lights. If Jesus is sun and moon, we're stars. We can reflect the light of Christ into the world. First, to illumine our own path that we not stumble, that we not stray from that salted walkway and fall into the brambles or roll down a hill or something, but that we have the light to make our choices and take our steps in life. And then, as that reflective focusing lens in my little flashlight, to reflect that light to others, perhaps to shine into corners of darkness where God directs us to see that it's needed. To whisper a word of care, a word of uplift, okay, occasionally a word of warning to a neighbor, to a sister or brother we see about to stumble in the pothole or fall in a manhole or roll off the path, but to be the focal points of the light of the world. And we can say, well, we got the light. I've seen the light, been blinded by the light. And then he uses images to common in the household. Typical Galilean household, by the way, had one 18-inch porthole-sized window. 
just so it wouldn't get totally dark in there, at least in daytime. They typically had one lamp. The lamp is a clay bowl with a wick hanging out one end and oil in it. You light the wick and you keep that oil, usually olive oil, going in that container. Small challenge. They didn't have a bick like we used to light the candles on a Sunday morning. They didn't even have a diamond sulfur match to strike on the box. It was uncommon to find a flint and steel. They were rubbing sticks or carefully guarding the fire they had so it never quite completely went out. So when you left the house, in this lamp on a little wooden stand, it's probably a couple of sticks tied together, but they get a little wooden stand, poor folks, and they got the lamp. So when you leave the house for safety's sake, you take it off the stand lest they get knocked over by a pet or something. Put a basket or a bowl with vents over that lamp so that while you're gone, the wick doesn't get blown out. Of course, you make sure the bowl's full too. So you hide the light for a time for safekeeping in the home. But it, Jesus says if you want to share that light, you don't cover it. You put it on a stand. You let it shine forth. So if we say, I've got the light and I'm going to jealously guard it, we're not doing any good with it. We need to be those reflectors. To share that light, he says, let that line, light of what we do, how we love, how we forgive, how we share, how we minister to others, let that reflect, not to brag on it, but to do it openly. If someone says why, you tell them why. You tell them what light you're reflecting so that people can see not to honor us, not to our glory, but they can see what we do and say why. Oh, it's about God? It's about Jesus? Yes. That the glory be given to God the Father for the light that we are given to share. Jesus says, I'm come to complete the law and the prophets. Not in detail as we learn in his teachings, not about how to tie your shoelaces or whether to heal on the Sabbath but to love God first and to love neighbor as self when he was asked, what's the heart of the law? And I love the phrase in the old King James where ours is not an iota, not a dot. That says not a jot or a tittle in the old King James. What the heck is that? An iota, an iota of something, is the smallest letter in the Greek alphabet. It's made with a little clip of the stylus. One tiny stroke. The other one, a dot, a tittle, is a yod, which has a little hook on it. And a yod, one of my ring, in fact, is a finger in, it in Hebrew. The yod, again, is the tiniest stroke of the stylus in Hebrew, and these are the languages of the Bible. Preached in Greek, old part written in Hebrew, he says, not an iota, not a yod, will pass from the law, but what I come to fulfill it. He fulfills it through salting the world. He fulfills it through lighting the world. He fulfills it through teaching these things to us that through us we might reflect them to the world. Let's be the salt. Let's be the light.
in a world that, at least in my humble opinion, desperately needs both. Let us bear them to those around us. Thanks be to God. Amen and amen. Thank you for having joined us for First Word from First Church. We pray that God has blessed you in some way, in his way, through the message that we have just shared with you. Please join us again. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance over you and give you peace. Amen and amen.